Good evening and welcome to your Valley Sports Plug. This is our 2023 Arizona Diamondbacks season review heat check podcast live. It is Monday, November 11th, 2023. I'm Chris Patrick and joining me this evening, Michael Benjamin and VSP Tallman. What's up, fellas? Chris, how we doing, man? The tears, they've been shed. The emotions, we've gone through them. We had to give ourselves a couple of days after that tough game five loss, losing to the Texas Rangers, who are your 2023 MLB World Series champions. But we're here to talk about the 2023 National League champions, our favorite, the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm ready to look at what awesome and amazing things happened this past season with the D-backs. So let's get it going, man. But Tallman, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing great, fellas. Um Glad to be here talking about something positive, you know, I mean, God, but good to be here. I mean, I, I was at that game five. I, I was maybe sad for a minute and then you just had to remember how incredible the entire postseason run and run was and how unimaginable it was. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for the team, happy for the future. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for spring training already. Yeah, it's like counting down the days. I think it's like 142 days or something like that. But you're right, man. I'm glad we gave it some time to breathe because I was pretty hot after we lost that game. I mean, not how you want to go out losing, what was it, three straight to end the series at home, losing all three at home. There was hope, too, and it just to get shut out like that, 5-0 to zero in the final game is a tough pill to swallow. But now that we're here disconnected from it, I can, you know, appreciate the fact that we did get there we are the national league champions and there's a lot of talk about accelerating the timeline and money that's been generated and freed up from this postseason run to be able to reinvest that back into the payroll ken kendrick was on with the local sports radio guys and he was saying as much as basically all the money they generated revenue wise goes right back into the team for their payroll for paying tori lavello the whole staff everything so I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. And we'll get into all that. Like Mike said, we're going to talk about game five of the World Series, kind of the end of the season and the playoff run as a whole. The really big picture highs and lows of the season, Mike, Michael Benjamin will have a breakdown for us. And then what we saw throughout the season, uh, just kind of reminiscent on just an incredible year where when you look back at our season preview, we were talking about let's just see if we can maybe make the playoffs or let's see if we can go above 500, I think was like the minimum expectation. And they, they blew all those expectations out of the water. Uh, we did recaps every two weeks, this uh, baseball season for the diamondbacks. And we did a player of the recap in each of those games. And so in that spirit, we'll do a player of the year. Each of us will share with you uh, who we thought was deserving of that honor this year. And then kind of maybe go through our off season wish list of who we want to see the Cardinal, the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks target in this upcoming postseason um, as they kind of shuffle their roster and get ready for 2024. Uh, but guys, I've been jabbering on, so I want to pass it back over to you. Michael Benjamin, um, you were not at game five of the World Series like Tallman was, but you were watching at home, right? What was your uh, first reaction to that? First reaction, it was kind of a gut punch, man, because, you know, I remember doing the recap for game four basically basically talking about if we really wanted to have a chance to fight back to get back to Arlington in order to force it to a game six we needed the best stuff we had probably ever seen from this season from Zach Gallon. and if you look at it he did man 
through those five innings, what a stud. I mean, he had a no-hitter going into the sixth, right? He did finish with 6.1 innings pitched, gave up those three hits, as we know, in the earned run. It was just uh, a myriad of mistakes from not being able to bring in guys who were in runners uh, who were runners in scoring position. I mean, you look at the stats, 0 for 9. We left 11 on base. And it wasn't even like, oh, we were just getting guys over to second and had two outs. No, there were multiple occasions where we had guys on third with one outs and we found a way to fall flat. And that's just kind of demoralizing at the end of the day. And the last thing I'll probably remember from this World Series, which unfortunately is a negative note, is when that final hit was hit into center field and Alec Thomas hit, missed that ball. Dude, that was one of those moments where I legitimately gasped and I almost had to hold back tears because that's the point when you know everything is basically gone at that point. And that was just tough for such an amazing ride to end that way, you know? Yeah, Talman, I mean, having been in the building as that game was going down, what was the energy like up until Paul Seawald gave up four earned runs in the in the late innings? <laughs> well, let's say um, it, it it wasn't it. I expected it to be a little higher energy. Um, it was almost like the fans were just waiting for something to cheer for, right? Um, obviously, you had Gallon going out there pitching that, taking that no hitter through six. But then it was like, okay, well, when's it going to happen? When are we going to, you know, string together some hits, actually score a run? And I mean, I was, I was screaming. I'm sure everyone around me was annoying, uh, was annoyed. But it, it almost felt like, like, hey, like, all right, like, you know, give us something to cheer about. And it never really happened. You know, we didn't have that explosive uh, offensive play in Game Five. And just comparing it, because I went to Game Four in the NLCS, that was a whole different. It, it was a different vibe in there. I mean, obviously you had a lot more Phillies fans than you did versus the Rangers fans um, in the world series, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it was like, I've no, nothing I've ever felt before, but I expected, I expected more out of the crowd. And it was almost like the crowd expected more out of the team. I mean, it's understandable after going, having that game on Halloween where, what was it after two innings we were down 10 zero. And I know watching that game, game three, um, excuse me, game four, I'm like, Oh man, you know, like, are we going to, are we in a slump? I mean, Mike, you put it perfectly. The offense just came out flat. You know, there's nothing going on. And I was afraid that that was going to carry into game five. I don't know if other fans had the same thought as I did. Um, not, nonetheless, though, I was excited to go to the game. Uh, and it was a great environment. They they did good. It's incredible to see Chase Field like that, where every seat was packed. But, you know, honestly, I, I felt like the energy would have been higher compared to what I saw in the NLCS. Yeah, you, you would think so, right? Especially with your back up against the wall, your team needing to rally around something, get their last World Series game at home, their last game of the season at home. Like you got to blow the roof off of that building. And I don't know. I do get that though. Like you you just, you they needed something to root for. Like you guys out there in the stands needed something to root for and they just didn't have anything you could explode for and really like make a big spectacle of. So that. That's tough, man. And like I said, it's it's tough to go out like that when at the end of game two, we had a glimmer of hope. And through two games, it looked like we were the better team. And then to just fall flat three games in a row. Tom, you mentioned that Halloween game. That was just absolutely brutal. But I've talked about it a lot. And I know it's maybe obvious to say, but you need your offense 
and your defense to be going well at the same time. You're pitching and you're hitting to be good, going good. And it seemed like the D-backs had it going, had a good rhythm up until that that start of the World Series where things just kind of started to fall apart. And you could even argue in the Phillies series where we started to lose games and it wasn't all coming together there. Ultimately, they powered through. But kind of in that vein, uh, wanting to look at the, I guess, the playoff run as a whole, Mike, like if, if we're sitting back now, like, like we said, we couldn't have done this a couple weeks ago. It might have been a little more emotional. We can really appreciate the fact that we we swept the Brewers, swept the Dodgers, beat the Phillies in seven, and made the World Series with a very young roster. Like, man, that that's just absolutely incredible. Did you ever think that this could happen? I mean, you guys got to be a realist. There's absolutely no chance that anybody should have thought that this team would have made the World Series this year. We were positive about the trajectory that this team was on, the explosion and basically just absolute thrust upon the scene of Corbin Carroll, Zach Gallen being a guy who was basically in the Cy Young race the entire season up until probably the last third. So we were making the right moves for the future, but we also have to think, guys, like we didn't get into the playoffs on our own accord. We, we had to get help from... A lot of other teams out there, I know the the big joke was if Suzuki for the Cubs actually makes that catch, we might not even go to the playoffs this season, right? We lose, we get swept our last series against Houston at home. We lose our last four. We barely made into the dance, but that's what makes it even more special for what they were able to do at the beginning of this playoff run because they had to go out and assert themselves on the road to start, and they did it in a just amazing fashion, man. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. Like the the games they won on the road really were the most impressive part of that. Going into hostile territory, being the underdog every single time you take the field, it's truly something incredible that for them to overcome that and even be in the position they were. I mean, everyone was so mad. They were blaming the playoff format. They were saying that it was, you know, luck or a fluke or whatever excuse they could come up with to discredit the Diamondbacks just being good enough to be there. Um, I mean, Tallman, what did you think of the the playoff run? What was your favorite series out of out of it all? Well, first glance, you really want to say the your favorite one was when we swept the Dodgers, just because it's the Dodgers, right? But I mean, the the clear number one answer to that is the Phillies series. It was it was it was entertaining. I mean, that's what you expect out of October baseball. And, you know, we gave the fans just that. Um, but anytime a, a series goes to seven, it's always like game sevens are exciting, but you never want your team to be involved in game seven because, you know, all the marbles are on the table. But nonetheless, obviously, the, the D-backs came out on top and it was an incredible series. So by far, the Phillies was the most entertaining. Um, I feel like the Phillies were, were the, the best baseball team. The Dodgers, or excuse me. The Diamondbacks had to get through in the postseason. I thought the Phillies were a better team than the Rangers. I mean, I know I said it a couple of times that the Rangers or the D-backs stacked up better against the Rangers. I thought it was a better matchup, more favorable to the Diamondbacks. But it just seemed like the Phillies were destined to just run through the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks were going to be a little speed bump in the parking lot on their way to the World Series. But that was not the case. So very, very entertaining baseball that the D-backs put on uh, against those Phillies. Yeah, I'd have to agree. The Phillies series was just 
Absolutely incredible. I was talking trash back and forth with a few people on social media who, of course, like I said, I was just saying, discredited the Diamondbacks for even making it to where they were in the NLCS, let alone actually beating the Phillies and going to the World Series. And I'm sure they feel like they might have had the last laugh because we didn't win the World Series, but they didn't even make it to the World Series as Phillies fans. So that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, I think just I think I can really not emphasize enough that I'm just happy that they got to where they did. And it gives me optimism for the future with such a young group of guys, if they continue to progress and if there is some more money there to be able to invest in chasing some free agents. And I want to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but Mike, I think you were saying you had a, a little bit of a breakdown of the whole season. Yes, sir. I mean, it's really high level. You have to remember this is 162 games. So if I'm trying to tell you, hey, do you remember that May 28th matchup against the Tampa Bay Rays? Hell no, we don't know it, right? <laughs> so, you know, we just think about where we started, like Chris was saying before, and the expectations, you know, maybe just a couple of games over 500, having some early success to start the season. And that's exactly what this team did, man. But like we said, when we first started this first month in April, we went 16 and 13, just trying to kind of find the mold. And then we really just hit the ground running after that. Between May 12th and May 23rd, we went 9 and 2. And by July 1st, we were 50 and 34, 16 games above, above 500. If you would have told me that was going to happen at any point, I would have told you that you were crazy, man. And this team led the NL West for a good chunk, about a month and a half as well. But then July happened, and we know it was a struggle of a month. We went 8-16, and 16, went down to only seven games above 500. And then we start August 0 for 9 and find ourselves two games below 500. And at that point, we were really just treading water after, after that, man, right? I mean, we had some nice series wins to get ourselves kind of out of the mud with three out of four against San Diego and Cincinnati, who at the, at that point were both kind of contenders for a wild card. So that's where we needed to get those series wins right there. But then our kryptonite, we get swept by the jo the Dodgers to end August. But in the middle of September, after we took three out of four against the Cubs, like it felt like we were there, right? Then we swept the Giants in a two-game series, and we're looking at the rest of the schedule, and we're talking, oh, okay, we got the Yankees coming up. We have Colorado again, the White Sox, all these teams who really aren't in contention to make a playoff push. And then we lose three out of four against the New York Mets. The highest payroll in baseball finally comes to fruition for them after they haven't been in it forever, man. And then, like we said, we lose the series to the Yankees. At that point, we were wondering, man, is this team going to be able to get in? And the last thing, like I said, we did lose the last four of the season, but got some help from other teams to finally get us in there. And, man, what a beautiful, beautiful first series, I will say, it was against the Milwaukee Brewers to finally get a first playoff series win since, what, 2011? And the first time that we were in the playoffs since 2017, man, it seemed like a very, very long time ago. But that's your high-level view. And like Chris said, we got recaps. If you want to go and reminisce some more, go ahead and check those out too. 
Yeah, man, the recaps were fun. It's it's always a roller coaster, especially when you're looking at a two week window, because you'll see if if you were following along or if you go and look back, it's like one two week section is like, man, this team is crazy. They're doing so good. They're riding high. They're getting on base. Two weeks later, wow, we are losing every game. The bats are cold. The bats need to wake up. The bullpen sucks. And then you get to the next week, and it's like the bats are really good, but the bullpen sucks. And so. The season ebbs and flows, but I really like the way that they they kind of just held down packed and stuck to their guns. There weren't really any dramatic changes. We kind of thought there might be at the trade deadline. We were hoping to get a starting pitcher. I believe Mike Hazen has come out and said he tried to get a starting pitcher, uh, just didn't didn't come to fruition. And man, maybe that could have been the difference maker in the World Series if we had a fourth pitcher we could go to. If we, I, I mean, I'm not saying Brandon Fott did a bad job. He did absolutely the opposite he did an incredible job in the in the postseason what he was asked to do and what's crazy is again talking about the recaps there was a time in the season when we all agreed that Brandon Fott should go down to AAA and stay in AAA and that we didn't want to see him for the rest of the season because when he had come up to the MLB for his two three starts that he had to start his career they were so bad guys like I'm pretty sure it was almost like a 10 ERA it was so bad like it was ugly Um, But that kid bounced back and hopefully he continues that progression. I hope it's not just a flash in the pan and we can see some more Brandon Fott going forward. Uh, But talking, you know, 2023 season, man, there's a lot of positives and things to be optimistic about. It's it's hard not to stress that Corbin Carroll was an all-star. Geraldo Perdomo, Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Zach Gallen. Guys, the the Diamondbacks had four all-stars in the all-star game. I know Perdomo was... Uh, kind of a late addition, I think, because of an injury that uh, another player, so like a reserve or substitute. So I guess you could say three true all-stars and then a fourth uh, supplementary. But either way, that's that's freaking awesome. We're starting to get the recognition. Our team's on the map now. And, uh, man, I'm just excited for next season. But, Tallman, looking back on the 2024 season, what was your favorite part of the ride that we all went on? Well, you can call it a ride for sure. It's definitely a roller coaster and – yeah. Made you a little sick at the end, right? Um, favorite part, I mean, it's got to be just the the rise of Corbin Carroll. I mean, you saw this kid just, I mean, I, some, someone said it earlier, I think it was Mike, he just took the took the league by storm and really is showing that, you know, he's a true all-star. He should be an MVP candidate every single season going forward. But just, just seeing him come in and, and having being able to showcase him, I mean, you mentioned the all-star game. I mean, part of that all-star game, it was in his hometown. He was mic'd up. People got to learn a little bit about him. And for him to join, or what was it? What was the club he joined as a rookie? I don't know. He had a bunch of home runs, had a bunch of stolen bases. And then being able to showcase him in the postseason as well. And I, it's just so great to be able to sit here and say, yeah, you know, that dude they're talking about on ESPN, he's on our baseball team. And then you got to remember the the contract that he signed before the season to just absolute steal and how that contract plays out over the next seven seasons. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be one of the best signings I think in the last 20 years of baseball. Um, so, but seeing him come in and like I said, take the league by storm also having our starting pitcher be the starting pitcher for the all-star game. That was incredible. Um, and I don't know, just really seeing us pull it off. Cause I mean, I, I was with you guys. I mean, I was, I guess neg- I'm usually pretty negative, but I didn't even think we were going to win a single playoff game against the Brewers, but to see him come out and those, remember those two Brewers uh, games, we went down three, four, zero and to start both those games. And I remember the first one, I'm like, Oh, well, Hey, at least we made it. At least we can say 
you know, we were a wild card team in 2023, but, but yeah, it was a fun season and man, I'm, I'm a little sad it's over. Yeah, I'm having I'm having withdrawals, man. I've been thinking about baseball a lot and seeing a lot of posts, of, you know, counting down the days until spring training and uh, really excited for next season. But I, I know we, we're going to have to move on. We're going to have to continue to talk about the Cardinals and the Phoenix Suns, especially Mike and I are going to be getting into some uh, Suns recaps and uh, past the outlet streams talking plenty about the Suns and everything going on there. Because I know I don't know about Mike, but I certainly have some feelings about how their season has started. But this is our 2023 Arizona Diamondbacks season preview review. Excuse me, review. So, um, Mike, we're talking about the All Stars and everything, and Zach Gallon being the All Star starting pitcher for the NL. Uh, he's right now a finalist for the Cy Young of the NL. It's uh, Zach Gallon, of course, Blake Snell, and Logan Webb. And I, I just think I just want to ask you because I think it's interesting. I think it's probably right now between Blake Snell and Zach Gallon. Um, but just these stats here: Blake Snell, fourteen and nine with an ERA of two point two five, two hundred and thirty four strikeouts. Logan Webb, nine and eleven record, ERA of three point two five, one hundred ninety four strikeouts. And then Zach Gallon, seventeen and eight with an ERA of three point four seven and two hundred twenty strikeouts. So Gallon has the best record. Strider has the best ERA and the most strikeouts. But what I think is very interesting, and I don't want to get too off topic and talking about the MLB more broadly, but Logan Webb being in there is confusing to me. When you consider other pitchers like Spencer Strider, who his overall record was 19 and 5, ERA of 3.86 with 281 strikeouts. So more wins and more strikeouts than any NL Cy Young finalist. Um, a lot of people mentioned Justin Steele, again, with a, a better record than two other finalists at 16 and 5, an ERA of 3.06 and 176 strikeouts. So, all that to say, and kind of long winded here, is um, I don't know if Zach Gallon has a chance to win it just based off maybe how much they're weighting the wins category. Because Zach Gallon does have the most wins, but Strider had more. Uh, ERA is pretty similar. Uh, Snell has an ERA 2.25. That's pretty incredible and more strikeouts, but Strider had almost 50 more strikeouts than him. So I just, I don't know. I just think I want to ask you, Mike, uh, what do you think of Zach Gallon's chances to win the Cy Young and uh, any other thoughts you might've had at the, at the Diamondback season? I guess there's also a question about recency bias. I mean, Zach Gallon is the only pitcher out of that group that actually is playing in technically November. I mean, he pitched in a November baseball game, but I think he still has a chance. I just think he did go a little bit too middling to end the season, right? I mean, guys, we remember he was stuck on 11 wins or 10 wins for seemed like two months and he ends up finishing four and four to go out the season. Um, did have a tough postseason too, guys. I mean, two, two and four, uh, 4.54 yeah. ERA as well. Uh, when we needed him to come out and get it done in that last game, he did and he got let down. But you know what's funny? He was the one who was letting down the team, you know, in Philadelphia and that first game in Texas, unfortunately, as well. Actually, no, I take that back. We were winning. Paul Seawald let us down in the first game. So we'll take back that asterisk for that one. But, I, I mean, I think he still has a pretty good chance. Like we said, you know, 
what's his numbers here? 9.4 Ks per nine does, you know, have a nice record with those 17 wins and only nine losses. But I think there was just too much that was left on the table to finish off the season for Zach Gallon to be able to get over that hump for the Cy Young, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think I think it's probably going to be Blake Snell for my money. Uh, Tallman, uh, I think it'd be a good time to kind of reflect on a lot of the transactions we saw throughout the season. I know you had some strong reactions to the signing of Jace Peterson. I know he wasn't quite your favorite. Uh, Zach Davies wasn't always your favorite guy to be on the roster. He got DFA'd late. We saw Mad Bum get cut early and then later in the playoffs offered a pitch for the Rangers in their game seven against the Astros. don't know if you guys heard about that one. Uh, Carson Kelly, once a top prospect for the Diamondbacks organization, uh, DFA'd, uh, said GTFO, get out of here, Carson Kelly. Uh, Tommy Pham coming in might have been one of my favorite signings initially he he i don't know it seemed like all the guys we brought in him and seawall they both kind of stumbled out the gate but found a rhythm got comfortable and were there when we needed them most those two guys were great through the postseason but tallman i'm sorry uh i kind of talked too much there but what was your favorite uh roster move of the season or what were some of the roster moves you really uh you know thought were good moves yeah my favorite one it's got to be get rid of Carson Kelly. I mean, when he came back from injury, him sharing time with uh, Gabby behind the plate, it was just, it was not working. Kelly was bringing the team down. It was very obvious. And also on the other hand, you have Moreno, who's just a star and he really showed it this year. So getting Kelly out of the way, making Gabby the clear cut number one catcher and might be what he got his first gold glove this year. He's going to be one of the best catchers in baseball in the next couple of years here so getting him out of the way letting gabby take the reins i mean that was just so clear because moreno was a big big part of this team uh, especially down the stretch of the season and then at the postseason um getting rid of uh mad bum i mean obviously we talked a bunch about that in the beginning of the season i mean that guy's out there throwing meatballs i mean this team was trying to be competitive i I think he we didn't have a crazy record and we got rid of him, but every time he went out there, it was just unbelievable. So getting rid of him quick, and even though you owed him a bunch of money, I think we're on the hook for I think it's twenty million or something next year. Um, but that was just the front office saying, "Hey, you know we don't care. You know we're, we're here to win baseball games, and if you're not producing for us, you know we're, you're going to get shown the door." And using that as a as a tangent into Zach Davies, that was the same thing. Zach Davies was productive he was decent but then he got to a point in the season where every five days you put him out there he was just a liability I mean he had a couple starts where we still won the game but he lasted three innings and gave up six earned runs so it got to the point where hey this team's too good we're, you know we're, we're we're trying to do something right now and we can't afford to send somebody out the mound that's just going to be a liability I mean we saw we went into the postseason with three starting pitchers you know we'd rather have a bullpen game then put Zach Davies on the mound. Uh, but then talk about the the signings or, uh, excuse me, the the moves at the deadline. Tommy Pham, I mean, that guy, he's just a leader. You know, he he came in, he was a clubhouse favorite. Um, he was productive in key moments. Yeah, his, you go look at his stats. They're not going to jump off at the page at you and scream, you know, all-star. But he had clutch hits. He was a leader in that clubhouse when, you know, we have a lot, a lot of young guys in there. So he was an incredible trade. I remember when that happened, I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I mentioned in one of the, or what Chris and we did the, 
uh, the last uh, in-person heat check. Yeah. And you can, you compared what the Rangers did at the deadline versus what the, what the Diamondbacks did. You know, we traded for Tommy Pham and we traded for Jace Peterson. The Rangers are out here getting Max Scherzer and um, who else they trade for. They got to roll this Chapman earlier in the season. So, but Pham turned out to be an incredible addition to the team. Um, Seawald, obviously shaky start, but he really tightened it down um, in the postseason. And, and he was, he was part of that three head monster in the bullpen of uh, Ryan Thompson, who, who I'm going to have to talk about next, um, the gink and then Seawald. I mean that your seventh, eighth inning, ninth inning uh, reliever pitchers were just so solid throughout the postseason, And they were a big reason for this team's success. Um, but yeah, I mean, where'd they find Ryan Thompson? I mean, what did he get dropped by the Rays? Is that what it was? And he got picked up. I mean, that was an incredible pickup. I mean, you find that guy who's getting dropped by teams in the, the third third half of the season, and you bring him in, he's gonna play, he's gonna pitch some huge innings for you on a tremendous postseason run. I mean, Ryan Thompson, he really showed up and he was a hell of a pitcher. Uh, so that right there, Ryan Thompson's gotta be pretty close to the top here. But getting Kelly out of the way, Gab Gabby is a superstar. Uh, he's gonna be a fan favorite for a long time. But Tom, and I got to jump on in this too, because man, those are a lot of names that you just float out. But with a 162 game season, I think we forget about how many guys are really here throughout a season. I mean, a guy we didn't see throughout the playoffs, Scott McGuff, McGuff, McGow, McGuff, gal, whatever. McGuff, you Scott know, McGuff. 63 games with us. Another guy, Austin Adams, who had a nice showing with us 24 games when he went down with the injury as well. And then a guy who made an impact down the down the stretch in our playoff run as well, Andrew Salfrank, got the call up late, only 10 games during the regular season with us. And guys, we have to remember that at one point, Andrew Chafin was our leader in saves, right? Eight saves with a 4.19 ERA. I just love what Paul Seawald was able to do to come in and really shut down the door, had an incredible start to the postseason, which was a perfect six for six until the unfortunate game one blown save. That's just always a tough scenario when you see that happening too. But I mean, I got to talk about the starting position, uh, starting pitcher position as well. Tallman, I'm surprised you didn't go with this one as your favorite DFA, I guess you could say of the year. But for me, dude, it's Madison Bumgarner. They started off this year basically saying exactly what you said. If you weren't ready to make a commitment to this team and be productive, you weren't going to last. Man, he only got four starts. He was 0 for 3, had a 10.26 ERA, didn't even make it through April. He was released on the 26th after giving up seven runs, four walks on seven hits in just three innings against the St. Louis Cardinals, who we know were a dumpster fire of the, for themselves this season, but... Oh, I'm very surprised you didn't go with him, man. Yeah, well, that felt like a whole other season ago. Didn't that feel like so long <laughs> ago does. when they got yeah. rid of Madison? Like, it was like, I mean, April oh, to yeah, November. I forgot. We, <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, so much has happened, and we've been through so much different crap throughout this season with this team, whereas, like, that felt like a distant distant memory. But I know we were very happy when that happened. But I, I don't know. I, I couldn't pick that because – the, the Gab Gabriel Moreno is just—he's just such a special kid. So I, I, I had to go with that. I mean, what a postseason he had, right? You talk about for the regular season, had seven home runs. He had four alone in this playoff run, tied with another guy, another up and comer, Alec Thomas. Man, 
uh, our outfield, we're going to have to do some maneuvering. It sounds like we'll see if Florida Scoriel is going to be a part of this team next year. But the last thing I want to talk about, too, is just going into a postseason with only three starters. We're going to talk about our wish list for next year. And that's going to be one of the number one priorities on my list. I mean, what a loss it was to have Tommy Henry go down, you know, at the end of July when he was put on the 30 day with that elbow and then got shifted to the 60 day DL on August 16th. I mean, 16 starts, five and four record, 4.15 ERA, about six and a half Ks per nine. I thought he was getting better as the season went on. And then when he went down, it was just like, poof, he disappeared. And we were just scrambling after that because that was still before Brandon fought was really starting to find his own as well. But man, like I said, lots of different faces within a season. And that's why it's awesome that we're able to come back and reminisce on all of these guys, even if they're guys that we're happy to see not be around anymore. Right. Yeah, it's like one of those situations where some of those guys are addition by subtraction, uh, getting rid of Chafin, getting rid of Mad Bum. Uh, you got to give these guys like uh, Fa and Sal Frank a chance, and it, it paid off. It, it shows that Hazen is absolutely deserving of the position he's in to be able to assemble the way he has. And the way Tori Lovello managed through the postseason, seeming we everyone was saying it, pulling all the right levers, making all the right moves at all the right times. Uh, until his players just weren't getting the results for him. And, and that's not his fault. I still think, for the most part, I think I liked about uh, 90, 95% of Tory's decisions he made throughout the postseason, um, if, I, if I'm being honest. Uh, but, Mike, you're talking about the guys that have come and gone throughout the season. We also got to see a taste of Jordan Lawler. I uh, can't remember if you mentioned him or not. But, man, that kid, we're going to have to decide, if are we going to keep him as a top prospect? And hope that he grows into his potential or do we keep a guy like Geraldo Perdomo who we kind of think, I think he might've be at his best right now, or he could get better. Like really nobody knows. Uh, so we have some options here. What, what do we do going forward? I think that just kind of ties into talking about the off season a little bit. Um, but I like that this organization is no nonsense and win oriented, even when the expectations are, not so high. I mean, like we said, expectation was go above 500, maybe challenge for a wild card, get a postseason spot. Because winning the division wasn't ever an option for us starting the season. It was definitely going to be via the wild card if we were going to make the postseason. And so we, mission accomplished on both fronts. And then anything after that was just icing on the cake. And so you have to remember that. You have to really take a step back. And I know we talk about expectations change and goals shift as you move throughout a season. But at the end of the day, what this team accomplished, even if they lost in the NLCS, even if they lost against the Dodgers, if they put up a fight, I think we still would have been proud of them. And the fact that they made it to the world series is even just that much sweeter. But guys, before I get too much ahead of myself talking about next year, I want to talk about this year and close it out with our player of the year. And so Cody, I will pass it to you first. Who is your player of the year? All right. Sorry, I was just was thrown off by the you calling me the C word. Um, all right, player, <laughs> player of the year. I forget your name sometimes. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I know. I, it's all right. Um, my player of the year, and and really, it's just. I mean, you, you could have picked. You could have picked six, seven, eight different dudes. I feel like, um, but I got to go with the Gink, Kevin Ginkle. 
I mean, the guy finishes the regular season with nine wins, one loss. He goes a 2.48 ERA through 65 innings, 70 Ks and 32, uh, excuse me, 23 walks. But the postseason, the dude didn't give up a run. I mean, he had one win in the postseason uh, with 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, 15 Ks, five walks, and guy was just electric. I mean, he was shut down. or Just no one could hit him. Uh, he was – I don't know. I mean, you could argue in that, in that Philly series – he was either number two or number three on that list of who's going to win NLCS MVP. Uh, obviously, Cattell Marte was most deserving of that, but you can't just glance over what Kevin Ginkle did um, in that setup position, it, pitching in the eighth inning. The guy is just electric. And you got to remember, this was a guy that got sent down to the minors in June, you know, and then, then he comes out and he literally was, he was a good portion of the talk of this D-backs baseball team through the postseason. I mean, everyone was talking about him and just him shutting down some of those big names on that Phillies lineup. And dude, he really, that, that guy's slider was just absolutely nasty. No one could hit it, but he just, what he did coming back from, you know, kind of a lackluster start to the season, getting sent down, bouncing back, coming up and being a huge, huge part of that bullpen or of the transformation of that bullpen, that bullpen was the absolute worst the first two, three months of the season. And now you could go through this whole postseason run the last month of the season. You could argue that that was one of our biggest strengths as a, as a team. And Kevin Ginkle is right in the middle of it. He was ahead. So he's got to be my player of the year. And man, I mean, like I said, I, I wanted to pick Cattell Marte, but I couldn't pass up the gink. Yeah, you you gotta love the gink. He he was solid all throughout the year, and kind of the only guy in our bullpen for a long time who was able to be relied upon. I agree with you about Cattell Marte. I mean, everyone knows he's my man. We share a birthday down to the year and the date. Love my boy Cattell. Uh, cornerstone of this franchise. I mean, it was incredible what he did through the postseason, especially setting that record. What was it? Twenty games with a hit streak, and how fitting that that streak came to an end in that loss in game fucking six game five game five but man i would have to say for myself my player of the year is christian walker i know i know he didn't have a great postseason uh we wanted more out of him uh once the playoffs started and especially could have used him in the world series but in the regular season he he was the reason that we got to the playoffs and to where we were i mean not the only reason but a big part of it you look at his stats, he had 33 home runs, which was a lead with a team leading 33 home runs. He led the team in RBIs with 103, and he had the most doubles with 36 doubles, 86 runs, which was third on the team. But man, his bat was electric all year long for the most part. There were a couple weeks here and there where he kind of slumped a little bit, and then, like I mentioned in the postseason. But Christian Walker is an absolute stud, another gold glove for him, two years in a row. Someone that we didn't see coming at all. I mean, after Paul Goldschmidt left, there was a huge, huge void to fill. And uh, I think he's done it, guys. Like, I think he's filled Paul Goldschmidt's shoes, which is crazy to say, honestly. Um, but, yeah, that's why Christian Walker is is my player of the year. Mike, who you got? I got to say the same thing as Toma, man. This one was really tough because there were just some guys this year – who had stellar years, we already know this. I mean, you talk about the all-star Lourdes Goriel, right? 24 homers, 82 RBIs. I have to shout out, even though you guys have already said his name twice, we got to triple down Cattell Marte. 
I wouldn't be surprised if his playoff performance was because of the all-star snub that was absolutely caused on Cattell's front. He should have made the all-star game, but 25 home runs and 82 RBIs as well. But we all know who it is. We saved the best for last. My player of the year and probably everybody's player of the year, even though you guys picked other guys, it's Corbin Carroll. Second on the team in games played this year at 153. He led the team in average with 0.285. He led the team in OPS at 0.868. Led the team with 161 hits. He had 30 doubles, 10 triples. You can probably say that more than half of those were just stretched out from his sheer hustle, right? He tie, he was tied uh, for second on the team with 25 home runs with Cattell, and he had 54 stolen bases. And this was going back to what Tallman was saying. Corbin Carroll stands alone. He is the first rookie in MLB history with 25 home runs and at least 50 stolen bases. This kid just jumped on the map, and I can't wait to see where he goes from here. His speed is so electric. He's very witty when it comes to uh, you know controlling the base paths, understanding when to attack. He has great speed in the outfield as well. We saw plenty of web gems from him this year. And he's sneaky with the bat, man. He knows when to pick his spots, and he has some good power for a guy who's a little bit smaller. So Corbin Carroll, this one might have been the easiest of all of the easy recap picks that I probably said this season when it comes down to player of the year. It's Corbin Carroll. And I have to jump in on this parade, Mike, because you're absolutely right. Corbin Carroll is the Diamondbacks player of the year. I think honestly, like everything you guys have been saying, whether it's the steal of a contract he's on, the way he performed throughout his rookie season, guys, his rookie season, you can talk about the World Series where we're up against veterans like Corey Seager, who is a World Series MVP, now a two-time World Series MVP, one in each division. Only other player to do that is Reggie Jackson. And Corbin Carroll's a rookie, man. So he could be, I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just thinking he could be our Mike Trout. He could be our Pete Alonzo. He could be the guy that is the cornerstone of our franchise that keeps us competitive year in and year out, despite other guys that might come and go throughout that. And right now we're in a window where I think with as young as our roster is and as cheap as a lot of them are, they have room to build on top of that. And I do want to talk about that. Um, and so this offseason, there are some big names out there. There's some big needs. Uh, Tom, and you were just saying right before we launched here that it sounds like Lourdes Goriel Jr. will not be on this roster next year. He posted on his Instagram, I believe, uh, kind of thanking the Cardinal or the Diamondbacks fans and the organization. I, I don't think anything has been announced officially that he's signing with anyone else or not signing with us. But, Mike, are you uh, comfortable with Goriel leaving the Diamondbacks after this year? Uh, it's tough. It, you know, when we think back to the trade, which brought him and Gabrielle Moreno in, I think the centerpiece was more so around Gabe, uh, Gabrielle and to get Lourdes and to get the production that we got from him this year was absolutely great. It's another right-handed bat that we need in the lineup. So if we can find out ways to mask that, I think we're going to be okay. I think front office still wants to see what Jake McCarthy can do. And maybe they kind of flip some places around, maybe put Jake in right field, switch Corbin back over to left. 
I think Alec Thomas has really just kind of solidified himself in the center field. And obviously Corbin Carroll is, is who he is. So those guys are going to be your everyday outfielders next year. So we'll see, you know, do we bring back Tommy Pham as well? You know, he's going to be 36 years old and kind of, I don't know if I want him in the outfield playing defense, <laughs> you know, like having him at DH worked for the postseason. He had some incredible games, including that four hit game as well. But it, it'll it'll be tough to see him go, man, because we were just getting to know him and love him really at the end of the day. Yeah, and you saw all the merch, the purple hair that people were wearing, his signature. Uh, it was a fun ride uh, for sure. Uh, but Talman, even you said like you wouldn't be upset if Gurriel wasn't on this roster next year. And I, I don't think that's a unpopular sentiment. Uh, I want you to talk about that, of course, but I also want to ask you what you think of potentially bringing in the hometown guy, Cody Bellinger, to this outfield. Yeah, I mean, to start with Gurriel, I mean, it's not a negative thing. I'm not over here like, oh, my God, he's, you know, he's not the guy, you know, get rid of him. Um, it, it was more so, I mean, you got a lot of production out of him, right? And how old is the guy? I, I totally meant to look this up. He's 30 years old. So you got to think about what does he want versus what the team wants to give him? I mean, you could see the season that he put on. I mean, some team's going to come up and I bet you they're going to throw some money at him. And the D backs are, we're built about it. We're built around a young core. So reason by saying, Hey, I, I wouldn't be sad if he wasn't here next year because he'd probably be too expensive for what we're trying to do. And I know that's not what any of us want to hear. We don't want to hear, Oh my God, they're not spending money again. We don't want to be the 24th overall pay, payroll in the league again, but you know, we got to be realistic, right? Are you doing to sit here and pay Lourdes, give Lourdes a four year, however many millions on a contract? No, probably not. Right. But so I wouldn't be sad if he was gone. Um, it looks like he's not going to be back, but Mike, you made a good point. I mean, you, you got a lot of left-handed bats in that lineup right now, and you got to find a dude that's a right-hander that you can stick in left field. So I bet you they find a veteran guy, um, probably somebody similar to what Lourdes was when he came in, a guy that we're not going to be too familiar with, but who's got some experience. And, hey, you know, maybe he'll have a similar season for the, the D-backs next year. Uh, but talking about Bellinger, what, he went to Chandler High? Is that where he I think went? so. Yeah. yeah, he went to Chandler High. So Bellinger, he um, he really had a kind of he really revitalized his career this year. Um, he he, I think he won Rookie of the Year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when he came into this into the league. Um, but he he kind of his his career kind of bottomed out, right? He he came out real hot and he just cooled off like crazy. Um, but going to play for the Cubs this season, I mean the guy shows just kind of the sheer power that he has. And he really, like I said, revitalized his career. And I'm not surprised that he opted to, to test free agency and see, you know, what he can get. Um, I, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it, but that's another guy. He's, he's not going to be cheap. I mean, he is a borderline all-star player. And if he can do what he did this year with the Cubs, with the D backs next year, then yeah, it'd be worth it. I mean, I'd take Bellinger over Guriel any day of the week, obviously, um, but he's going to cost money. And I, I'm not going to sit here and sound stupid when I say, oh, this team's going to spend, 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 because we're, we're not going to spend, spend, spend. I mean, I, I just, that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I double checked. Uh, Cody Bellinger went to Hamilton High School. 
Uh, same alma mater I, as I always Kyle mix Suggs. those. Yeah, just love Chandler together. And Chandler and Hamilton, yeah, same. They, he, they're like five he miles to, away from each other. Yeah, he yeah, went to Chandler. If, if that, there you go, Ch- Chandlerton, Ch- Chandlerton. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah, either way, those teams uh, seem to be uh, producing talent left and right. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think Bellinger, the way he's kind of, re, like you said, revitalized his career a little bit. Definitely not getting back into the form that he was in when he was absolutely raking with the Dodgers, but showing that he can be a productive part of a lineup again. And if he was born and raised here, I think, I don't know if that makes him a Diamondbacks fan or where his allegiances lie. I imagine maybe that changes when you become a player, but it would be cool to maybe come back home for him and play for the Diamondbacks. Maybe that would also help him be comfortable and produce. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Uh, but some other some other guys I'm thinking about is the third base position. We've bitched about it so much. Is We had Emmanuel Rivera and Jace Peterson and different guys kind of revolving through there. Josh Rojas, who was traded off of the team. Uh, I think that's just a position we really need to address this offseason. And an intriguing name for me was Matt Chapman. Uh, he was most recently on the toronto blue jays i believe and uh tom were you saying he was a golden glove winner yeah i thought he saw he won gold glove this year sorry i, I should have verified that before I putting you on out. the spot real quick yeah you know <laughs> yeah no uh, no no big deal um but, but it looks like the blue jays have extended a qualifying offer to him um he did it looks like he did win a gold glove uh there at third base so that would be a great addition, but uh, maybe he'll go back to the Blue Jays, depending on uh, how he weighs his options. Um, Mike, do you think third base, though, is a priority, or is there another position you have your eye on for this team to focus? 100% has to be a priority. We need to add another bat just in case Christian Walker can't step up to the plate in the postseason. And it doesn't hurt to have another guy who might be able to get you 30 home runs. I mean, like Chris, I think you were talking about Matt Chapman. I don't hate it. A guy who's going to have to get paid a lot of money. So like Tallman said, who knows if he'd be able to even find his way over here. Uh, Here's a blast from the past. Would you guys want Eduardo Escobar back? (laughs) He's going to be 35 years old. Uh, That's a no for me. Uh, Another guy. Yeah, that's a no. I also like player flexibility. Uh, Isaiah Kinner Falafel from the New York Yankees. Going to be 29 years old probably by the time that – Spring training comes along next year. Uh, nothing crazy, but I don't mind that we're going younger. I did love what Evan Longoria was able to do this year with the veteran presence. Be, you know, a guy who's willing to listen for any of these kids, show them the ropes. Uh, but you can't go into the season thinking that it's going to be another split time frame like they were thinking it was going to be between him and Josh Rojas. And we saw what happened. Josh struggled to start the season, got demoted and then traded. So I I think you want to bring in somebody who's a little bit more tenured, has a little bit more pop in the bat um, and somebody who don't, you don't have to mask defensively down there as well. Um, So we'll see. Other than that, you know, like a lot of people have been saying, starting pitching, you got to make sure you bring in another starter at least. And then relief pitching, start, cleaning up some of these positions for guys who you can't trust. Unfortunately, I think some of those names right now that come to mind are Miguel Castro, maybe Luis Frijas. You just have to think about the guys that were getting opportunities in the playoffs 
because those are the guys that you need to be shirred up with when it comes down to it, if we are to make another playoff push next season. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I tend to lean toward more towards the optimistic, which is uh, uncharacteristic for me. I, I think, guys, usually I feel like I'm on here being the pessimist when it comes to talking about all these teams. But, I mean, Tallman, you probably heard the stories this week coming out about the Padres having to take out loans to cover their payroll this season. They were really banking on making the playoffs and make, being able to pay their debts off a playoff and World Series push and then to come up so short it, it just it's it blows my mind what the diamondbacks were able to accomplish when you look at the the paper like it's paper side by side these rosters you got big names on this padres team and they were not able to compete so we're seeing stars in the making on this diamondbacks team it, at least that's how it seems can they replicate that next season like i said i'm super optimistic and i think it's very possible we're just a few pieces away from being a team that you really don't want to fuck with and i think that we showed a lot of people that through this postseason run and a lot of people are just going to call it a fluke because the small market teams never get the credit for just being better than you like we're maybe we're just better than you was that the tj or the jj JJ. jj Watt. maybe we're just fucking better maybe we're just fucking better And, and i think that's this this Diamondbacks team needs to embrace the fact that they are the underdog, that they are always going to be discredited at every turn. And I think them and the Diamondbacks fans are going to embrace the chaos to kind of throw in one of their ta- new taglines there. Uh, but it, it's just so true. And I'm, I'm super excited. But Tallman, uh, I want to kick it to you, I guess, to to share any last thoughts you have and uh, feelings towards this season that just ended with us as National League pennant winners, or uh, and or the upcoming twenty twenty four season. Well, yeah. Um, first thing I've been thinking about this lately. Do you guys think we can figure out if Jordan Lawler can play third base? <laughs> uh, dude, honestly, I wouldn't. Like, mind come it. on. Give it yeah, a chance. Why not? Right? I mean, I mean, shit. Because if you think, because you already mentioned it earlier, Chris, you're like, do you keep Perdomo? Do you roll with Lawler? Do you flip Perdomo for a third base right. prospect yeah. or somebody? And, and I, I think Lawler's too high of, um, excuse me, he's too high of a prospect. He's one of your highest, one of the highest rated prospects in the minor leagues right now. You, you can't get off of him. You can't trade him. Even though Perdomo's, he's shown glimpses of being really good and, being very productive when he's batting ninth in the lineup, but Lawler's going to be your dude for the future. I mean, you have to, because you're going to go that route like you did with Corbin Carroll, where you're going to, you're going to throw out the net and see, Hey, here's an eight year, however many million contracts similar to Carroll's. And you're going to hope that you struck gold just like you did with Carroll. Cause unfortunately that's how this team's going to have to function. I mean, uh, we, we mentioned it a lot when the preview coming into the, in the, this series, or excuse me, the season, where we're talking about how these small market teams are going to have to function. The Dimebacks, I think there are days of throwing 200, 300 million, or excuse me, our days. I don't think the day is going to come where this team throws 200, 250 million at one player. It's, it's not going to happen. And then, I mean, yeah, I'd like to go back and remember what we paid Granky and even we even threw some cash at uh, Madison Bumgarner and we're still paying him too. So, I don't know. I mean, I, we're going to see a lot of a lot of this. Hey, we're going to find these young guys. We're going to develop them, and we're going to try to we're going to try to secure them and lock them. And 
we're going to try to keep them in like a crazy, crazy ex-girlfriend and they, they can't leave. I mean, think back to what they did with uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Remember that the contract they gave Paul, Paul Goldschmidt? It was five years, 32 million. I mean, that's incredible. Goldschmidt outplayed the crap out of that contract, just like Corbin Carroll almost outplayed his contract in one season, his rookie season. But obviously we need a third baseman. That's, that's the one clear position we got zero production out of. I don't want to see Peterson there. I mean, Rivera's is lost as his mustache when he's at third base and at the plate. And then Longoria, I mean, the dude's got some heart. He played, he, he played, he played some baseball this year for sure. But I mean, the wheels are about to fall off. You got to find somebody that you can stick in there and develop over time. Who's going to be there for a while. Um, Starting pitching is the clearest one, guys. I mean, we just watched the postseason where we only had three starting pitchers. Um, I think next year we're going to see, obviously, our two guys, Gallon and Kelly. Um, you, you're going to hope that they can pull in some type of veteran starter that can fill your third spot. Then you have Fod at four. And then we're probably going to see either a mixture of uh, Tommy or uh, Ryan Nelson in that fifth spot. Um, I mean, those are some young pitchers that showed some some promise this year. I mean, just like fought, I mean, remember fought got sent down to the minors, what, two, three times. I mean, that dude overcame adversity for sure this season. And yeah. we, like I said, we saw some good stuff out of Ham, uh, Hami, um, Tommy Henry and, uh, and Ryan Nelson. So we're, we're going to see those, those young guys get some more chances because you can't give up on them yet. Um, but that veteran starting pitcher, we need somebody in here that's pitched some good baseball before to kind of help, solidify that starting rotation i don't know if i could have said it any better i mean my final thoughts is you have the foundation right but i do want to go back a little bit i think i was talking to chris and i've talked to a couple of different people as well who are arizona sports fans and the main narrative right off the bat when we lost was well at least we made it there right nobody ever thought we could have done this Here's the truth when it comes down to Arizona sports, guys. We're chomping at the bit for a damn championship. It is difficult to stomach when a team loses the way that they did in the, in the World Series. That's kind of why we had to take a couple of days off before we really rallied back and talked about this team. Because those last two games were really, really tough to just get through, man. And at the same time, right, we do have to be appreciative and thankful for what this team was able to do this season through the roller coasters with such an incredible start, leading the NL West, having an abysmal summer to somehow finally figuring it out once again and climbing to a playoff berth and making it to the damn World Series. So at the end of the day, yes, everything was a success. It's an absolute positive, everything this team did this season. There's nowhere else they can probably go from here either than to win a World Series, but they put themselves in a place to be successful over the next couple of years. And that's what gets me so exciting to continue to grow my love for baseball a little bit more than where it was, right? Because, man... I'm almost like Tallman, man. I'm counting down the days for spring training at this point. All right, Chris, what do you got, man? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have really said it all. There's there's nothing that I feel like we haven't talked about, but I could go on and on. 
just talking about how incredible this ride was this season. Corbin Carroll, a rookie. Jordan Lawler, going to be a rookie next year, potentially. Brandon Fott, just such a young core to have so much room for optimism. I, I mean, you're absolutely right, Mike. This Valley does want a championship, and we've seen that when sports teams in the Valley are successful, that people will rally around them. They might have their other allegiances. They might be transplants. They might root for other teams. But when the hometown team is doing well, they show out. And so for better or worse, we're in a time period where we might start to see Diamondbacks games more full of D-backs fans during the regular season than we have in years past. And if we can continue to build on that, that's how you start getting a fan base that will be loyal because guys, these times they are a change in. We were all three born here. There's so many kids being born here every day. And I believe that they will become Diamondbacks fans, whether they're raised to be Pirates fans or Dodgers fans or this or that, their love for their hometown team, I think will eventually supersede that. And that's, that's maybe getting a little bit too much into to some other topics, but guys, I'm just super excited for what this team might bring and uh next year we're gonna bring you recaps every two weeks of the diamondback season as we did throughout this season we're doing we're gonna start doing that for the phoenix suns starting this week um diamondbacks uh suns cardinals we do every single week every sunday or monday or thursday uh, i don't think they have any primetime games this year so i think it's all sundays for us um, so Monday morning, you can check out Monday, Monday through Wednesday. We'll say Monday through Wednesday time frame of when you can expect Cardinals. I was going to say, man, th there's too much going on throughout the week. We got to make sure we're getting it to the people early before Joshua Dobbs is anointed the savior. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, a couple weeks ago, Tallman was about to shave his eyebrows and his head and uh, really embrace the Josh Dobbs experience. And uh, I'm glad that he didn't uh, because he is on the on the Vikings now. Had a, had a killer game. Oh, my goodness. Uh, make sure you check out our recap that we're going to be posting here in the coming days. But uh, I want to thank anyone who's watching back on the replay, especially if you made it this far in the video, anyone who's tuning in live. I'm Chris Patrick. For Michael Benjamin and VSP Tallman, we wish you a good evening. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Peace.